0: Welcome to the Keystone Church Podcast. Keystone Church is located in Keller, Texas in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Now, let's prepare our hearts for this week's message. We're in Nehemiah chapter four. In Nehemiah chapter four, we're gonna read a a little bit of section of scripture, but I encourage you, go back and and dive deep on it on your own this week because we're making a clear and immediate uh, application to families today. But I kinda, I kinda found myself in Nehemiah 4 and it was kinda hard to get out of it. It's one of those really rich, 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 fertile places in scripture that you could spend a long time there. And so I wanna give the gift to you of walking through Nehemiah 4 for yourself. And just let the Holy Spirit speak to you as you read it. Today I'm gonna give you a head start. We're gonna talk about families as we're in the how to grow your family tree, but I urge you, truly, if I could just pastorally push you this week to read it, pray over it, ask God to speak to you, I believe that, that it could be a game changer for you. Let's read a portion of that scripture together. Nehemiah 4, verse one. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged and he jeered at the Jews. Now, a little bit of history. The people of Israel are in a really unique moment in history. It's part of what makes this so cool is the people of Israel, they have survived a civil war. You may not have known that. Israel had a civil war, and there was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, and they just separated. And the northern kingdom in 722, B.C. was attacked by the Assyrians and destroyed. In 586, 587, uh, the southern kingdom was attacked by the Babylonians and was taken into exile. So they were uprooted. So basically, all that's left of Israel has been uprooted and, and dislocated on a trail of tears to Babylon. The Babylonians got conquered by the Persians, and now the Israelites are kind of governed by the Persians, and they just want to get home. The Persians were friendly to the Israelites, so they began to let Isra- the Jews go back to Israel, to Judah. And they began to settle on the outskirts of Jerusalem. Nehemiah, who was a cupbearer, which was like a major, massive position in the government, he had visited and had, his heart had broken over the rubble that was that was Jerusalem, the capital city, his homeland. When it was destroyed in 586 BC, it was torn down and burned and his heart broke. And he said, man, I feel like God's calling me to build the walls of the city. So that's where we see ourselves. He's rebuilding the walls and the enemies are starting to get angry. Verse two. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing, Sanballat said? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, yeah, yeah, man, yeah. What they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. And then Nehemiah prays to God. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. The Bible here is not advocating for someone to not be forgiven of a sin. This is uh, someone who's being oppressed calling out for justice. Verse six. So after all of that, I love the next words. So we built the wall. Against the echo of resistance, anger, and oppression, so we built the wall. Could I just speak prophetically that today, whatever you feel like is coming against you, so we build our families. Whatever pressures you have, so we build this marriage whatever's coming up against you, whatever mistakes you've made, so we build this life. So we build the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people who had a mind to work. You want to build your family? You need a mind to work. You want to build your marriage? You need a mind to work. You want to you wanna build your life? You want to build your career? You want to get a good start? You need to have a mind to work. Are we preaching already? We're not even out of the text. But when Sembalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashtadites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. Again, angry more. Angry at the notion, angry at the progress. You think you can be a Christ follower and make advances on God's will for your life and other people not be messed up about it? And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. They plotted, they had a plan, and we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is much too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us, sometimes... The voices are not the enemies, it's friendly fire. People that you would think would be with you, people that should be celebrating you, maybe another believer in the faith, and you're not getting encouraged by them. Actually, they're discouraging you. That's what's happening here. Verse 13, so in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in the open places I station the people by their clans and with their swords, their spears, and their bows, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles of the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. And fight, fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your home. The title of today's message is fight for your family. Fight for your family. Something that I have to fight against is bad posture. I'm just keeping it real. Susan has total permission to call me on it at any point because I really want better posture. And it gets really annoying. Like, I'll even think I'm doing good posture. She'll say, hey, hey, watch your posture. And then I'll try to correct you. She'll say, still bad. That's the worst. But there's something about me. I have a gravitational pull toward this. (laughs) I don't know what it is. I really don't. Some of you, you don't even know this about me. I'll watch you walking in the lobby, and I'll be admiring your posture. you're walking like this and you don't even think about it and it's like you've just got a rod just up and down your back and you're just walking like this and I'm like, my gosh, what a great posture. (laughs) I'm so serious about it. I went on Amazon (laughs) and I found some things that can help you with your posture. I should have brought them. (laughs) I really should have. I think you'd leave the church if you saw this stuff. One of them is like this strap thing that you strap into, and it, Last week, Jody texted me in the middle of my message. I was teaching with Susan, and he snapshotted a picture of me, and I was standing like this. And he texted me, he said, great posture. I showed it to Susan, and she said, that's a good friend. I have another contraption. I don't have time to tell you this. I have another contraption that I lay on the floor. I got this from a chiropractor. I was like, hey, can you help me with my posture? And I, I laid on the floor, and, and you like put your neck in this contraption. It straps you in, and you just, I don't know. It's so embarrassing. Like It's really embarrassing. Can I challenge you today to a new posture? Today we're gonna to work on your posture toward your family. I believe some of us, we have a lazy posture. We just have a default posture, gravitational pull toward poor posture. When God says, I want you to throw those, whatever, shoulders back, get that chest out. As unnatural as it may feel, I want you to adopt a posture for your family to understand that we are at war. When you think there's no enemy, when you feel like there's something going down, like right now, your posture changes, okay? When I'm in the mountains fishing and I know there's wildlife around me and I hear a, (laughs) my posture changes when there's the potential for some kind of threat. We, my friends, are truly at war. What does it say in verse 14? This is kind of the anchor scripture right here. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives, and fight for your homes. 1 Peter 5.8, the Bible says, be sober-minded, posture. Be sober-minded, ignite, engage your mind. Turn on your brains. Be watchful, posture. Sherpa, posture. Be watchful. You know, when I got my concealed handgun license, yes, I am a packing preacher. When I got my CHL, well, Okay. Would you like for me to tell you some other things I do? (laughs) Maybe you'll clap for that too. Um, But uh, when I got it, I was with one of these dudes. I had it renewed before we needed to not renew it anymore because now everybody, whatever. Um, But when I got it renewed, the dude who I went to go get it renewed with was like all in. Like, underline the word, all (laughs) in. But one of the things he said, I'll never forget, I think I've shared it before. One of the things he said, he said, hey man, you got a choice. You can be a sheep or you can be a shepherd. He said, part of my job with you today, I wanna help you think like a shepherd, not a sheep. And when when you read the words in 1 Peter, be watchful, be sober-minded, be watchful. What he's saying is, don't be, uh, <laughs> nah, little dumb sheep. Just <laughs> have you seen the memes? Raise your hand if you've seen the memes. I want to know. Some of, you, if you haven't seen the memes, then I, I, I don't know what to tell you. They're hilarious. These sheep, they like pull them out of a ditch. And they're pulling them out of the ditch and they work so hard and they pull the sheep out of the ditch and they pull them out of the ditch and the sheep is out and the dude is like, ah, and then me like, runs right back into the ditch. <laughs> Just be watchful, be watchful. Ignite, turn on your brain. Your, why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour I'm looking for my next meal, I'm looking, I'm looking. If you understood you have a bullseye on you, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So Israel at that time, and Israel today, by the way, surrounded by enemies. Israel today, surrounded by people that thinks they should not exist as a nation, Israel then surrounded by people that did not believe they should be there. And they were surrounded by enemies. And so when you see Samballot sneering and mocking, and then you see Nehemiah rightly saying, that person is an enemy, sometimes you can be nicer than the Bible. And say, well, I'm not gonna talk like that about people. Well, the Bible did. Look, it doesn't mean you hate them. It means they are coming against you. This person is an enemy to your marriage. This person that wants to cheat with you is an enemy to your marriage. Turn on your brain. That's a threat. Open your eyes. This friendship group is an enemy to your child. Like, don't be nicer than the Bible. Call it what it is. That doesn't mean you hate that group. You want them to love Jesus. You want those, those students to get in our student ministry, go to camp, find Jesus. Their lives totally change. That doesn't mean you hate the kids, but they are an enemy to your child right now. He named it. Today we need to talk plainly and clearly that there are some enemies to your family. Anger. Ballot was angry. Why? Why? Nehemiah was just building a wall. Why the anger? Build it up halfway. By the way, they built it in 52 days. Build it up halfway. Ballot got more angry. Why? Because when you embrace the kingdom of God for your life, and you believe I am a kingdom person, it changes the way you live. And when you begin to live out that kingdom life, those that don't share your worldview are threatened by the kingdom of light. And you know when you're really threatened by a Christian worldview? It's when deep down in your soul you realize you have given yourself to a lesser worldview. And you feel the need to drum up a defense of your worldview because that one is clearly better. But you're doubled down. Sambalit was watching a miracle in front of his very eyes. He was watching favor with Nehemiah, with the king himself of Persia had given Nehemiah full reign to do it. He had authority. And then the results were nothing but miraculous. And Nehemiah, uh, Ballot's worldview was being confronted by the kingdom of light. Listen, if you think you can be a Christ follower and never provoke resistance, you don't understand the world. You don't understand that somebody is going to see your parenting and you're making them sick, like they're offended by you because they know that their worldview is not matching yours. It's not as good. So they get angry. So to live a Christian life, you will, the Bible says, he promises, those who desire to serve Jesus, you will suffer persecution. Let's not have so weak a faith that we think there's never a pushback for following Jesus, and let's not be so weak a church that if the culture out there begins to push back on us, we think somehow we did something wrong? If you're ever advancing the kingdom of God, you will have pushback. If you're advancing in your career, the kingdom of light in your career, there's gonna be somebody in there, you make them sick with your happy stuff. You make them sick how you value team. You make them sick how you see the dignity in everybody. You won't play their stupid little hierarchy games. You make them sick, and they will resent you secretly, they will grumble privately, and then eventually they will come out after you publicly. But it's their worldview being challenged, and that's exactly what we see here with, with Sam Ballot. They were totally 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 an enemy. Behind any person, there's a spirit. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness. That's why we don't hate people, we hate the spirit driving those people. Behind Ballot, there was a spirit, and I'm here today to tell you Satan is your ultimate enemy. And Satan, in the garden, when everything was great, the first target for him, the first bullseye, was marriage. In Genesis 3, he attacked marriage. And in Genesis 4, he attacked the kids. So if he had his choice, he would come after your marriage and then he would come after your kids. It's just like being on an airplane. They tell you if, we're, if, if something horrible happens and the oxygen comes down, right? I've never been on a plane where that happened, by the way. But if the oxygen comes down, what do they say? They say don't give it to your kid first, give it to yourself first, why? Because you need to be breathing and conscious so you can then help others around you. It's the same principle. I want to go out. Satan wants to go after the marriage and then the kids because if he can take out the marriage, then it's easier to take out the kids. Okay? So, just a word. But he is coming. He's coming after your marriage and he's coming after your kids. Today, posture. Posture. If you wake up knowing that there is an enemy attack bearing down upon me, You change your posture. You change your approach. Know this, our enemy is planning. He's planning for the fall of our families. There's a plan to take you out. The devil is not just overtly emotional and impulsive. The devil is willing to go slow and willing to plan. We see this here in the scripture. We see it in verse 8. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. Ephesians 6.11 says this, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil will plot, plan, and scheme. As it was happening in Nehemiah's day, his enemies began to plot, Plan and scheme, and there are schemes, there are plots, and there are plans right now that He is slowly dialing you into, winding you up, tying you down, frog in the kettle, slowly trying to woo you into culturally. And here God is saying, Church, posture. Don't get drawn into an enemy strategy we live in a world right now there's serious strategies against the home i am shocked and dismayed that i would even have to preach this point truly as a child of i was i graduated in the 90s as a child of the 90s growing up in the 80s born in the 70s i saw marxism socialism as the great enemy I saw that mindset defeated. I saw it fall under its own weight. I saw it as completely bankrupt and incapable of building society. I traveled to the Ukraine on a missions endeavor, and I saw them flock to the Westerners. They loved our freedom so much. I saw the world that they had created with no property ownership, and they had to live in these These towers that were dead and lifeless and colorless and just rob your soul. And I could never imagine that that mindset would make a comeback. But here we are. And that mindset, I began to just kind of deep dive into it. Marxism, in its original setting, you could read about it in clear In clarity, in uh, the Communist Manifesto, written by Karl Marx and and, and another guy. These two wrote the the Communist Manifesto. The Communist Manifesto for Karl Marx was like his Mein Kampf. Okay? And in it, he talks about how we should have no property ownership. That's one of the things he wanted to get rid of. But it's not the most radical thing that he talked about. And, And you can read about this, and everybody agrees the more radical thing that he talked about was not the abolition of personal property ownership, but he advocated the abolition of the nuclear family. The great threat to the world he saw that he could build was mom and dad and kids in the home. The great threat to the utopian society that he wanted to build was this stubborn little family unit With a strong mom and a strong dad. By the way, he wanted to do away with religion as well. And in the midst of that, he attacked personal property ownership. He attacked all those things. Attacked the nuclear family where kids were turning against their parents. And the society unraveled. Today, in our culture, we have a thing called neo-Marxism. It's a new version of Marxism. And it is deeply ingrained in our culture. It's being taught right now in our universities. It is a deconstruction of truth as we know it. And one of the goals is the, is the, is the abolition, like Marx, of the nuclear family. You say, I, I don't know that I buy that. I think you're overstating it. Well, as an example, let me give you perhaps one of the greatest marketing, or, an organization that pulled off one of the greatest marketing endeavors that I have ever seen in my lifetime, okay? 2019, 2020, y'all remember those years? <laughs> uh, one of the things <clears throat> that I felt deeply about in those years, and I do today, and if you've known me for my whole life, um, I've had life experiences that have led me to this place. Uh, we've preached an entire sermon series on this topic of the dignity of every single person. Red, yellow, black and white, looking more like heaven every day. When I was growing up in church, we used to sing a song. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. That song got in my soul. That song got in my soul. So I remember being in a, in a car with my friend Latai, when we were going to a, a, a basketball tournament in Vider, Texas, some of y'all know. <laughs> and he was uncomfortable, I remember that. That was formative for me. So at Keystone, we've always championed, we see the dignity in everybody. No matter what the color you are, no matter what the money you have, no matter what you're driving, you may be sitting next to a Rolls Royce and and you walk to church today. We're loving everybody. We're loving the poor. We're loving the rich. We're loving the red and yellow, the black and the white. We're gonna look more like heaven every day and we're gonna show the world what it looks like. Anybody with me or am I alone? (laughs) Then we started talking about Black Lives Matter. And when I heard Black Lives Matter, I'm like, yeah, sign me up, 100%. I'm in, I'm in, 100%. And I think most of us probably felt that way, absolutely. Black Lives Matter, Brown Lives Matter, White Lives Matter, all lives matter. And I have no problem for a moment taking a little breath and saying, they matter and I want them to know that we've, they feel it. That an organization called themselves Black Lives Matter, greatest marketing that I have ever witnessed in my lifetime, okay? And I'm like, that's awesome, if I'm being honest. I was like, that's awesome. And then, finding out about them, went on their website, and this is what I read. The organization, not the sentiment. The organization, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. And that's on the page that says, What we believe. That came out and it got taken down. What am I saying? What I'm saying is that when the secular world tries, to do God's work of racial racial reconciliation and racial unity without God, it gets jacked up really quick. Rather, the church should step into that space And the church should say, I'm going to show the world what it looks like to love my brother. I'm going to show the world what it looks like to love my sister. And we can do it better than a godless, secular world (laughs) that says we've got to do it without families, no more dads, no more moms. We're going to do it here at Keystone. Let's speak it. We're going to do it here at Keystone, where everybody feels welcome in this place. And we don't judge anybody. We don't judge you by the color of your skin. We don't judge you by the money in your pocket. We don't judge you by that stuff. You roll in in the bins, I'll clap for you. You walk into church, I will will say to you and speak over you, you are first generation of progress. You're walking today, your kids will be riding bikes, your grandkids will be driving, and your great-grandkids, they'll be rolling up in the bins. I'll speak that over you. And it's all because you're the first generation that walked to school. Anybody with me right now? We're going to do it differently in this place. We're going to show them. But you don't turn to a university or a major in college or an institution that says the way to do it is to break down the family. That is a strategy by our enemy against families. Okay. I hope you all heard my heart on that. Um. <clears throat> We will outsource. That's a a strategy that's happening with us right now. And it it is the crime of a wealthy Western culture is we will outsource our parenting. This is the sickness. This is the sickness of Western culture is that we are so wealthy, generally speaking, compared to other communities in the world. We will outsource our parenting to institutions. We will outsource our parenting to government. We will outsource our parenting to a daycare. We will outsource our parenting to a school. Can I just say a word? Our teachers have enough on their shoulders teaching math and helping us learn Spanish and helping us learn what we need to learn in school, English, ELA, whatever they call it now, they have enough on their shoulders. They don't need the weight of parenting your kids. That's, they don't, they're not made for that. That's not their job. Their job is not to parent your kids. And frankly, I would be concerned if a teacher thought it was their job to parent my kids. Teachers deserve our full support as they do their job. The reason that there's so much confusion is we have neglected ours. We've stepped out of our God-given role of leading the home, and we've outsourced. It's a strategy, outsource. 1 Timothy 5.8, this will show you how serious the Bible is about owning your scene when it comes to the local family. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So I want to go have fun, but I have an elderly parent. No, step up. It's time for the family to be the family again. It's time for you to visit them in memory care. It's time for you to make care packages. and They gave their fruitful seasons of their life to you. Let's step into that moment. Let's show up. Let's make sacrifices for our aging parents as they made sacrifices for us. We cannot be selfish in this season. Am I talking to somebody right now? We've gotta step up, we've gotta step in, we've gotta got have a sense of we're taking care of one another. I'm not gonna outsource it to an institution. I'm not gonna outsource it to the government. I'm not gonna outsource it. I thank God for the institution. I thank God for the healthcare that we have in our country, best in the world. I thank God for the way that my grandfather was taken care of in the, in the last years of his life, extending his life, which meant extending his time with us. I thank God for that. But I don't turn to the institution to parent and to feel the weight of that, we need to feel the weight. The church needs to show the world what it looks like to love our families, not outsource it. It's a strategy, it's a strategy. Strategy, ripping us away from our families is making itself into law. I was shocked, I thought this was like a, a fake headline. You know, there's like, uh, there's like fake headlines that are like whatever, whatever you Babylon B or whatever. I thought it was a fake headline. PBS posted this about the recent Washington state law. And it says, transgender minors protected from estranged parents. And, and I point this out to elevate your understanding that there is a true strategy in our culture right now <clears throat> to tear the family apart. This is the headline. Transgender minors protected from estranged parents under Washington law. The law that they're referring to, and, and before I get the email saying, you didn't research it, you don't know what you're talking about, I did. The law that they're talking about is a law that says in Washington state, so Seattle, uh, it says basically that if you as a student, you're, you're a teen, you are going through a gender confusion or you're going through wanting to go through a gender transition and you wanna take harmful chemicals to change your body composition that your body may never recover from. Or you wanna go through gender transition surgery where literally you're going through a season right now, but us parents, we know these seasons change. And you wanna go through something that will alter your body physically and you'll never be the same. Uh, what this law says is you can run away from home, go to a shelter, they'll call the government, they won't call your parents. And this headline to me, PBS, I thought PBS was freaking Sesame Street. (laughs) Transgender minors protected from crazy, bigot, estranged parents that don't want their kids making a life-altering decision to their bodies that they may later and for their whole lives regret. Take the parents out, bring the government in. There it is, and this is the headline. How about another headline? Washington State is insane and have lost their mind. I'm just saying. Look, hear my heart, man. I hope you're not missing my heart here. The point is, I'm trying to illustrate for you that this is real. This is not like talking points in the back of a chat room where everybody thinks that everything's crazy and this isn't conspiracy crazy. This is law. This is law. And this is the tip of the spear. There is a strategy, What I want you to understand is when you see headlines like that, don't just get all mad and post and repost and go full flame on everything and just blow everything up. What we need to do is we need to look at that. We need to change our posture. When you say, okay, so it's actually getting to law. That means the enemy has taken ground. So you change the way you talk about it. The enemy has taken ground and that ground is advancing toward us and and you can move away from wherever you moved away from and you can come here to the glorious republic of texas you could do that but let me t- I'm having fun today I don't know what's up but but as you let me tell you something let me tell you something the kingdom needs to be the kingdom here there and everywhere and there is a strategy when you understand there's a strategy it changes your posture Begin to understand, okay, okay. So the strategy would also tell you, um, oh, I've got so much to say. The strategy would tell you, stay out of politics, church. Church just needs to stay out of politics. I've never heard a crazier, crazier thing in my life. Christians, stay out of politics. Okay, now I understand if the phrase was the church does not need to prostitute itself to a political party that I'll get with all day long we don't listen i vote a certain way but the minute that however i'm voting whatever that is how i vote if they change into the kingdom of darkness versus issues that i perceive as as more kingdom of light I'm being careful how i say that I, i'll change I'm not loyal to a R or a D. I'm not, I'm not loyal to that. I'm loyal to the Bible. And we need to be that way. But the thought that we need to evacuate the space of politics, you get laws like that. When the church is MIA, you get laws like that. How could you be shocked at that? Because we want to play nice and we want, oh, I just want, I don't want to offend anybody. So I'm not going to do politics. I'm not going to run for school board. I'm not going to run for city council. I'm not going to run for mayor. I'm not. And all of a sudden, who's in there making laws? The kingdom has left the building. Rather, it's just a crazy lie that the devil has planted in our minds, stay out of politics. I've got a word for you. How about Keystone Church in the kingdom of God? We get into politics. Keystone Church in the kingdom of God, we go to Hollywood. Keystone Church in the kingdom of God, we get into the medical field. Keystone Church in the kingdom of God, we go into Wall Street. Keystone Church in the kingdom of God, we go into every square inch of society because the darkness needs the light. We go. And here's the truth. Here's the truth. Remember this. Evil never stops itself. Evil never stops. How did the Holocaust happen? Go study your history. How could that happen? In Germany, the cradle of the Protestant Revolution, Reformation, how could that happen with, with them embracing the Lutheran denomination as their official religion? How? Because the church ducked and dodged their moment. Not everybody. Read the the biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and you'll be blown away. Not everybody. But largely, they said, we're gonna stay out of that space. Evil never stops itself. Now, how do we stop it? Get mad, get angry, and become a real jerk. (laughs) See, you never do God's work the devil's way. And that's part of the problem is we get in the flesh on a right cause, but you get in the flesh and you know, Satan's like, okay, I can't get them on the issue, so maybe I can make them into a real jerk. And that'll turn everybody off to the issue they're advocating for. If he, if he can't have you that way, he'll get you in the method that you bring the message. So you know what? When it's time to rock into your school board and you don't like some of the books that are in the library, which I don't either, when I began to look at some of the books that were in our libraries, it's straight up, and I'm not prudish. I was an English major before I was an English minor because I got called to ministry, became a Bible minor. Anyway, you don't need to know that. Um, I love books. I love all that. I love literature, and and we're not talking about being square and, and all that. What I'm saying is when I saw what was in some of these libraries, straight up pornography, no business in public schools, period. I don't care what your age. No business. What's the point? And when you begin to see things like that, you roll in with love and grace and kindness and strength. But don't think your kindness is going to keep them from jeering at you and mocking you but when they jeer and they mock, you stand tall and you smile and you hold your ground and you say, I'm here for the kingdom of God. Really, whatever you say, it bounces off of me. I don't know the phrase, but it bounces off of me. And, and look, words hurt, I don't care what they say. Sticking stones may break my bones, words will never hurt me, <laughs> that's not true. Words hurt, but you have a certain kind of confidence when you are standing for the kingdom of God but when you stand for the kingdom of God, you do it with a smile, you do it with grace, you lean in to understand, you listen, you hear them. It may be there's a misunderstanding. It may be that they may be closer to you than you think. They just have been hearing a talking point out there in the world, and they need your voice to help them see the issue differently, okay? So we don't rock in angry, bullhorn church. I don't wanna, all of a sudden, Keystone, you're out there in South Lake with a bullhorn telling everybody they're going to hell. (laughs) So I have six strategies from Satan, and uh, I don't have time to give them. Number one. (laughs) Number one, he twists the word of God. Number two, he disguises himself. Number three, he counterfeits. Number four, he attacks. We'll hold it up. Number five, he accuses. And number six, he blinds. I got this whole list from, uh, this is my version of a list I read from David Jeremiah. His list was longer, so I I feel like I made it better. But, (laughs) But I'd love for you to dive on that and spend some time on that this week. Next, embrace that you will be different than most other families in the community. You will be different than most other families in the community. This message I've been waiting to preach since we started this whole series. You will be different than other communities. Nehemiah 4, and he said in the presence of his brothers in the armies of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? And then he goes on, verse three. Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. So this is the wall that Nehemiah, built, that Nehemiah built, the actual wall. They've uncovered it. This is, this is the wall. And when you look at this wall, I don't know who she is, by the way, but when you look at this wall, <laughs> you're like, who's that girl? No idea. <laughs> <laughs> Look back at the wall. <laughs> when you look at the wall, it does look hastily put together. Look at another version, another portion of the wall. This is a part of the wall that, was, that Nehemiah built upon. Look out, it's kind of rubble. They built it in 52 days. 52 days. Nehemiah knew the clock was working against them. It's a modern miracle. It lasted for a millennia. It's kind of amazing. But 52 days. And so, when they looked at this, that wasn't what a wall is supposed to look like. Later, when Herod rebuilt the walls, it's careful. It's stone upon one another. It's carefully crafted and, 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 and chiseled. This is what... And so, they, they, they made fun of the way it looked. Sometimes your life is going to look so different, but you're doing God's work. You're doing God's work. And... If you go to Israel with me, we'll we'll see this wall. You're doing God's work. That means you're gonna handle social media differently than everybody else. And the best thing I can tell you is get into community here at Keystone. Don't just attend and be out there all by yourself. One of the great sources of encouragement for us when we did social media and phones differently than everybody else was I could point to the other Christian friends. Well, what about Jace? Well, what about tax? And you could point to these other friends, and you had solidarity. And again, shades of difference between even your Christian friends, but you you have a group of people kind of walking in the same way that we're going to be careful with our kids having unfettered access to all the world wants to show them. It looks like friendships are different. When we were young, when we had young, young kids, everything was sleepover, sleepover, sleepover. I grew up in a house full of boys. I'm not used to this sleepover thing. Okay? I don't remember ever wanting a sleepover. Okay, But these girls, man, they love their sleepovers. And, and when they were particularly young, you gotta understand, Susan's got a 20-year counseling practice, okay? 20 years, LPC, Masters in Counseling, 20-year practice. She's a ninja. I have been a pastor for all these years. I've been a pastor for over 30 years. And all this comes together and we've seen a lot of darkness. And so we're a little jacked up at times when it comes to things we've seen. We can we're very careful. So when it came to sleepovers, we're like <clears throat> so we became very careful with sleepovers. I remember one mom was very offended about how careful we were. Susan was the one talking to her. That's the way to do it, guys, by the way. Um, and y'all think she's so sweet, right? She's so sweet, tough as nails. And she was like, yeah, we don't do a lot of sleepovers. We didn't know this family at all. Yeah, we don't do a lot of sleepovers. We don't do, and the mom's like, well, what, what are you saying? I'm not saying anything, I'm just saying we don't do a lot of sleepovers. Well, what are you saying about my family? Nothing, just saying we don't do a lot of sleepovers. Well, what are you saying about my husband? And at that point, okay, I'm done. And mama, mama bear came out. <laughs> what are you saying about my husband? You know, And I, I don't know your husband, that's the point. I don't know your husband. And we're just getting to know you. Um, Does your husband look at pornography? We'd like to know that. Um, Is there pornography in the home? What kind of access, I mean, you you don't want to go into that. The point is, we're very careful about sleepovers, why? Because it's kingdom of God for my kids. When it comes to to dating, when it comes to dating, men, kingdom of God, you need to be a protector. When they're, you know, this is you standing out in the front yard. (laughs) I'm here! I'm here, I'm here. You know, uh, there's the joke about when they come, you know, you're out there, you know, hey, bring the boy back here, and you're in there like slaughtering a hog, you know. (laughs) I mean, that could be okay, but. The point is, you're on. Don't give away your kids. Let your daughters know you care. Let your daughters know you're waiting up. Let your daughters know that you care about them. You're their treasure. You are are invested. I'm not just handing you over, and I'm not talking about overprotective to a suffocating point, but I am saying that we need to rise up. We do life differently, and there's power in numbers. There's power in numbers. It says in verse six, so we built the wall. We, 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 we. There's power in numbers. Biblical mentors and friends have been invaluable in our home, crew leaders for our students have echoed our our talking points, and sometimes it's so helpful for them to be saying what you're saying, and then the kid will come home and say, I learned this at crew, and you're just holding it in because you wanna say, I've been trying to tell you that. But you hear it from Sally over here, and it's gospel truth. That's called church. That's called church. That's church. There's men in this house that the state of my family, I'm indebted to. How they surrounded us. And they encouraged my kids when they had the public eye upon them. They just encouraged the kids. and uh, Don't do it alone. Work hard, but trust God even more. This is it. Work hard, but trust God even more. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, daughters, wives, and your homes. Nehemiah worked hard. But in the middle of it all, he said, as hard as I work, it's not enough. I'm gonna work hard and I'm gonna give my hard work as an offering to the Lord, but I know it's not enough. I've gotta invite God into my family. And today I'd like to invite you to invite God into your family. Can we pray together? Holy Spirit of God, I pray right now that our hearts would be open to hear from you. That our posture would change if we come home and we're tired and we check out night after night after night. Our kid is looking at us wanting to talk and we're distracted and we don't see them. Our wife is feeling alone and you can't hear her. Father, I pray that we change our posture knowing the enemy has a strategy. And I pray God for the grace of God paid for, and bought on the cross of Christ that we would build beautiful families in this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To learn more about Keystone Church, please visit us at keystonechurch.com.